Today's podcast is brought to you by drinkers like you. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash have a drink show. Wild Hills. You taste better than pale ales. You make it. Fuck yeah. Wild Ales. Dang it, Bob. This is not the time for your weird owl dreams in the intro segment. We're trying to do a show. Anyways, we are talking about Wild Ales and Brett today. So, pucker up and get ready to have a drink. Shit. Okay, are we redoing that one? No. She'll start it and then we can go from there. <laughs> Welcome to Have a Drink, the show where you learn along with us about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm that terrible vocal artist, Casey Price. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Hey, Uh, folks. What's going on? Uh, No sleep, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's for the week. It is. Ain't no no rest for the parented. No, (laughs) no, no. Especially when he's just he's throwing a little party every night, mm-hmm. you know. As soon as he came out with that uh, that fist raised in the air, you knew it was going to be a bad time. <laughs> oh yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, when you see the fist go up. We're like, well, all right, it's party night. I mean, I was just concerned when they wheeled him out, and he had like a glow stick, and already had a pacifier in his mouth. Like he's like, oh, he's like Barney Stinson. Oh, so folks. You'll never believe what I've found that I've enjoyed this week. Oh. It's it's not alcoholic. Oh, yes, yes in, indeed. It is a mixer for an alcoholic drink. Oh, I was wondering. I thought you just mistyped Qdoba in the... <laughs> <laughs> the way it goes. You know, it auto-corrects to Qdoba. That's how much uh, rice and black beans I eat. Um, no, I found a Q. So you've probably seen at grocery stores or whatever the Q tonic. That's their most popular one. Um, you've probably seen their Q club soda, which I don't get because club soda is just water and carbonation. So I don't know why you need to brand that. Uh, the ginger ale and some of the other stuff. But Q has come out with a um, a cola in cans. I mean, and you're gonna have to drink it. It's made by the Q continuum. <laughs> you know, I wish that was part of the uh, the Star Trek world is, you, is mixers. If you saw like John DeLance on the bottle snapping his fingers, <laughs> oh, so so Q is the brand. Oh, crusty space. Yeah, Q. Yeah, Q I, I don't is know the what brand. This is, so okay. um, they they do like all kinds of mixers, and so they do like tonic waters and ginger ales and ginger yeah. beers, and and uh, they did this cola, 
and my grocery store locally just started carrying it. And it is really good. It comes in like eight ounce bottles, so it's perfect for maybe be less than that. Um, no uh, <laughs> air that is silent is great. Seven point five ounce bottles. So they don't even give you a full. I wasn't laughing at the the dead air. I was laughing at the oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I had to bend over. That's what I sound like now. I'm getting old. Um, but they've started making this cola with a K, where it it's a good mixer for a like a rum and coke or a whiskey and coke something like that. And so I've been drinking that, and it's really good. <laughs> it's got like more spice and more kick to it, but not as much of the sugar. So it, it's kind of it's like seventy calories for a can, but I mean it's like seven ounces, so it'd be equivalent to like a one twenty ounce or one twenty calorie. Regular soda, which Pepsi is. Oh, okay. Didn't realize that. Apparently, uh, like, more like, calories than that. So, oh, wow. okay. I thought you were about um, to say like it's got like five times the sugar. Uh, it's two hundred ten wow. calories for sixteen ounces, sixteen point nine ounces. So, yeah, definitely the the cola from Q has less sugar in it. I didn't realize it was that much less, but it's got like more spice to it, and it uses the the real like cola nut. So it's kind of the traditional uh, cola type flavor. Gotcha. But oh, delicious stuff. So I've been drinking a lot of whiskey and cokes this week. So that's fair. Something in that uh, between that and uh, what I'm drinking today has triggered a thought. Sometime, very soon, this may actually come with us on Drinktacular because this thing has a finite shelf life. I need to use up these Miracle Fruit pills I just <sighs> refound. Crap, we keep forgetting about those. I know. I just saw them again. I was like, oh, these expire in March. Ah. Oh, well, I know something that we're going to record you know, now. <laughs> is it expire or is it best, best before? Best before. So okay. they're not probably expired, but I'd like to have them yeah. before that point. I've okay. had these for a while now. I haven't even fun. like broken the seal on like Listen, to get into them. So I'm really like surprised at that too. Because if it were me, I would have went ahead and opened them up and tried one at least. I'm afraid of how they're. You know, I'm going to open it up. We're going to see how they're packaged. If there's an individual one, I'm going to give a post at. You know, I'm going to give a discussion of the beer I've had before and <sighs> after. It's the perfect episode for that. Oh, yes. Yeah. So. We're going to see how these are packaged, but uh, we'll, we'll continue. What have you and Chris been doing? I figure they like Sudafed. Well, uh, babying it up, and this morning I decided to treat myself and went to my first first beer release in over a month. Oh, and also, real quick, one big bag. Oh, uh, so not today. Right. Fair enough. Um, went down to Streetside. Uh, they were doing two beers today. They were doing Robe, which is their Velvet uh, Cake Donut Imperial. I don't know. It's not Imperial, but just Velvet. Velvet donut stout with buttercream frosting, and it was amazing. Wait, what? Yeah, is it like buttercream frosting inside the beer, or is it like they instead of like so whipped cream on top of your frappe, they put buttercream? Can you imagine? You know what? I wouldn't be opposed to the idea of buttercream on the rim of a glass. That, that would be perfect. <laughs> oh. No, the it's with Holtman's Donuts, and a lot of breweries in town do beers to replicate their donuts and they have a red velvet cake buttercream frosting donut and that's what this beer is replicating and it replicates it perfect because they had the donuts there this morning and with every four pack you got a free donut so uh is the best donut in cincinnati Cincinnati. oh yeah oh yeah 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 they are killer donuts and yeah the beer tastes like take a bite i ate the donut just before i had the beer like i had just eaten it it it's fresh in my mind 
Then I got a pour and had it, and I was like, no, it's like you can taste the buttercream frosting in the beer. It's amazing. Uh, they mm. were also had uh, Demogorgon is their barrel-aged uh, <laughs> Imperial Stout. Uh, you might recognize the name Demogorgon. Uh, everyone knows it now from Stranger Things, but that is just a fantasy, like, Dark Realm kind of character that was popularized in D&D and other games. I was going to say, like, I think of it from something else, because I've not seen Stranger Things, but... Yeah. It's currently a popular name because of Stranger Things, and that's what they're invoking. The imagery on the label art is from Stranger Things, and uh, they did... It's a bourbon barrel-aged stout with toasted coconut and vanilla... And it is absolutely amazing. And so I was like, no, uh, Oscar Blues needs to go back to the drawing board because they've completely screwed up Death by Coconut because this is what it should be. It it was absolutely amazing. $22 for a two-pack of cans. Oof. Steep. And there were not a lot of them. There were a a, a two-pack? Two-pack. Selling it in two-packs. Two-pack? I didn't even know bucks. you could get plastic ringers in that size. <laughs> I don't think they can. I don't think they do. They cut them to fit. but. Uh. Uh, even oh, having I was that, just thinking of like, like, no, they just tie a rope around them. There were people uh, in the tap room while I was enjoying my flight. I'd already purchased all my stuff. People who drove from Louisville up just to get that beer and bought $340 worth of it. Because there were no what? limits. Lord. Yep. Well, bless there were, their hearts. There were, uh, <laughs> that's not a nice thing where we come from. Uh, yeah, so. Not usually. So, yeah, means you kinda, got some... Uh, some capabilities of the mind that are uh, not quite to par. So uh, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much what we were up to. Yeah. Uh, I will say I had an interesting one of, uh, one of the D and D groups I play in. Uh, someone had made a cake, a chocolate cake. The recipe involved using Guinness extra stout. Yeah. They don't drink. Uh, so they're like, well, I have like five more of these. It's like, well, Make five cakes. <laughs> They're like, no, we gotta get rid of them. <laughs> Do you want them? You're like, no. All right, fine. Oh, I'll kill it. <laughs> Why? Thank you. <laughs> I, I, you know, I drink one there, and I because I had to drink one there. I couldn't take an uneven case home. <laughs> huh? Couldn't like look there like there's just one spot missing. Gotta have balance nope. in your life. Right. So I've got those currently sitting in the fridge. Who knows when I'll get to them? Because of Guinness. Uh, oh, no, like, it's fine. I don't hate Guinness as much as you guys do now. It's just kind of like... it's it, There's just nothing to it, comparatively. It's yeah. just kind of like, oh. Now that you've had other beer, you're like, I mean, I guess. It's <laughs> like, yeah, it's fine. I can get it da- you know, I can drink it just fine, but we could be doing something... Yeah. <laughs> it's a like, little more fun. Yeah, yeah, you know, marijuana's fine and all, but have you tried Quaaludes? <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it goes. <sighs> well, what a great time for announcements. Um <laughs> Speaking of segue away, let's segue away from that as quickly have you as heard possible. About <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. Um so anyway, <laughs> coming up. Uh our next before that, our next episode is going to be Saturday, January 26th. 9 p.m. Eastern, and we will be talking about vermouth and the martini. I got to get my picture ready. You know what? Saying <laughs> quaaludes work really well into that. God. Actually, yeah, there's a <laughs> there's a drink, I think, that involves 
I have to look that up, actually. <laughs> Special up. guest, Bill Cosby. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> I was, I, my head was like, really? We all drew the line there? And I'm like, yeah, because that it, it's grosser now. Yeah. <laughs> line drawn there. Mm. Firmly. Spanish fly. So also, uh, <laughs> as we've been saying, uh, we have Drinktacular coming up Friday, February 22nd through Sunday, February 24th. In Asheville, North Carolina, uh, you can join us for brewery tours, uh, brewery hopping, bottle shares. It's going to be a good time. Email us to reserve your spot at feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. And we have a rough schedule already up. Uh, you can get on our Discord. It's already been posted in there. But I will give you all a brief rundown because if you want to know exactly what's up, we'll start out Friday uh, by 11.30 a.m., that's when this is all going to kick off at Sierra Nevada for some tours, uh, lunch, drinks, you know, have a good time. Uh, and then we'll be moving on that day. We'll hit Burial and a few other places downtown Saturday. No, not Chris. Hmm? Chris, it's not Burial. It's Burl. Burl. <laughs> Burl. Hurts. So uh, Saturday we'll be uh, hitting up New Belgium for a special behind-the-scenes tour, not the not the usual free one. Keep that in mind. Yes. On this. How many how many slides are on this one? Uh, you get infinite times down the slide. Yeah, so there best be the slide. You have to chug a beer every time to go down it. That, it's the best the, slide ever. They know me so well. Uh, after that, we're going to be hitting up White Labs Kitchen and Tap for a tour of their production facility and uh, possibly a live episode. So it may or may not be the, recording there. Some of the technicians at White Labs. Uh, really looking forward to that. I have a little lunch there. And then, and if you're in case you're wondering, oh, White Labs, I don't know what that they do. All the yeast for the big brewers. They oh, are the yeast. The they, yeast. They, they are the yeast. Yeah, that yeah. is. You you want to know yeast? It's there. And we've got some. We've yep. been talking about some really cool stuff that we could record there, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, then need to queue need to queue up something like Sabotage because they're the yeasty boys. <laughs> sabotage. So um, not enough notice. Not enough notice. Also going to be hitting Asheville. <laughs> Didn't Brewing. think of it till then. <laughs> Asheville Brewing Company, High Wire Brewing Company, or I think it's just High Wire Brewing. Not really a company in there. Uh, we were having a bottle share. Uh, have a nice time with that, and yeah. So uh, we've got all this coming up on the website. You can go check out the full list. It's a nice. It's a nice little. Uh, nice little weekend in Asheville. So uh, yeah. we really want you guys to join us, uh, but make sure if you are planning to come down there and if you want to go on the tours that's really what you've got to let us know about that feedback at haveandrinkshow.com if you want to be included on the tours because there are not many spots left to get on the tours <laughs> that is yeah. almost full up Indeed. so if you if you and a friend are coming uh you might want to let us know as soon as you hear this or we can't get you in on the tours you, you can still come and hang out with us at all the yep. places and follow along we just can't get you in on the tours hmm. that's on the first tour. come first come first servicier Yes, say. <laughs> and a lot well, of people. It's a, it's a it's a yeast episode today, so uh, <laughs> a lot well, of people I... have already come. Wait, no, that's not any good. Uh, <laughs> move, move, move on. Moving on. Wow. Moving okay. Right well, we have an update on our winter movie draft, for which uh, we have what a month left, month and a half. Uh, five weeks. Five weeks. Five. Oh, okay. Yeah. So smidge over a month. Uh, you know, that's about how long I got in this pregnancy left. <laughs> Ouch. Casey, you need to get those kids' tickets to Mary Poppins. <laughs> oh, it goes from two to four. How about that? All right, here is uh, Big Voice Jay. Welcome to your Movie Draft Minute presented by DiamondClub.tv for the week of January 14th, 2019. I'm your host, Big Voice Jay. Pro tip, 
If a cop tells you to put your hands in the air, don't, repeat, don't, wave them around like you just don't care. <laughs> Let's go to the scoreboard. Team Von Squad's in last place with $306.4 million. Team Movie Party's in fifth place with $421.3 million. Team Game Night is in fourth place with a $16 million debut from Glass, bringing their total to $426.5 million. Team Retro Misery's in third place with $488.9 million. Team Drunk Kids Gaming is in second place with $544.7 million. And in first place, it's Team Have a Drink with $598.9 million. Who Movie Draft Minute about Total Record as of January 19, 2019. Barely, we are. Oh. That, that that lead has been narrowing every week. <laughs> so and it has. Earlier, we were talking about this. Yeah, so we've got five weeks left, and Aquaman. They they have Aquaman, and it is still holding. So we looked last week; it made ten million more than Mary Poppins, and that's like both of us are out. Uh, they're coming up on our on our behind. That was Aquaman was their last movie, and Mary Poppins was our last movie. So we're playing the long game now. We've got to hope Aquaman dies quick <laughs> and Mary Poppins dies slowly. And that is the only way we can just like coast across we the gotta, finish line. We got to hope that uh, they only make uh, $9 million, uh, $9 million more than us uh, every every week. Five weeks. Uh, Let's see how that goes. <laughs> Come on, so everyone, take your kids, go see go see Mary Poppins. Don't you want to see Dick Van Dyke jumping up on the desk doing the tap number? We watched a little bit of that, and it looks amazing. With the help of Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah, Lin-Manuel Miranda, like, his career was just made because he got to hold Dick Van Dyke's hand and help him onto a desk to tap dance <laughs> while the man's, like, 93 years old. Wait, go, like, go he's what? really in the show? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He, I he does a whole... he was uh, dead. No, no. He does a whole oh. tap number. Yeah, he's he's a lively gentleman. He's alive and three. kicking. <laughs> Literally kicking. Good on. for him. Yeah. I know. <laughs> he doesn't look In bad fact, at all. so either. good for him. We should all go watch that movie. Exactly. Absolutely. Uh, Maybe tomorrow. We may do that tomorrow. <laughs> Family <go>. timeout. <laughs> <laughs> Buy extra tickets. Make sure you have like you know buffer seats. Yeah, I need right, two right. seats. So, got a big uh, butt. <laughs> That's not what I meant. I cannot lie. So, speaking of uh, people who can't lie, let's move into some news. Uh, So, uh, Casey brought this great story. Well, (laughs) So, Casey brought this uh, to my attention because it had slipped past, and uh, he actually knows a little more of the ins and outs than me. So, I'm going to go ahead and hand this one over to Casey. Coming from the Craft PAC, also known as a political action committee dot org, we have a craft letter pack. craft pack. That's like the rat pack, only less alcohol. Um, <laughs> uh, poor Dean Martin. Oh, yes. Um, we have so, a, no, a quick um, aside on that. Um, I can't remember what it was back around winter. Um <laughs> What, a Dean Martin cover or version of a Christmas song. I think it was like Marshmallow World came on. And Brittany was like, he sounds drunk. And I was like, it's He's Dean like, Martin. <laughs> he probably is. <laughs> he sounds drunk. He was. Yeah. So to do this, and we haven't practiced this, so forgive us. But I would like someone to read the red text as I'm going through this. Who volunteered to do that? I'll do it. Okay, Bob, you read the red text when we get to the crossed out portion, and it'll make a little bit more sense, I think. 
Um, so so I'll, any, are you, are you going to read the, the, the original thing or do you want me to interrupt you when you get to I the... will read the original and then I will stop after the original and you will replace it with the red text because that's the gotcha. best way to make this make the most sense over text <laughs> okay. or over audio. So let's talk a little bit about what this is. Whenever um, Texas has, has been going back and forth over some issues dealing with basically self-distribution by craft brewers for a while. And so the Beer Alliance of Texas LLC, also known as every distributor of Texas, getting together and creating one group, sent around this letter to all the, the, the lawmakers on the Texas um, House and Senate, and they said, hey – Here's something that we want to say. So let me go ahead and start reading this so that you understand exactly what the beer line said. And then Bob's going to read the corrections that the craft brewers of the state of Texas, the craftpack.org, has has kind of changed on what they put around. They really want to call this fake news because there's a lot of misinformation that was being spread with the Texas House and Senate just so that they could uh, kind of push their own agenda. So, from the Beer Alliance of Texas, LLC, the Beer Alliance of Texas says, beer to go or market favoritism? Uh, First error, beer hyphen to hyphen go. (laughs) Misspelled it right away. The Beer Alliance of Texas is opposed to allowing craft brewers the ability to operate unregulated slash Uh, unregulated. Strike that. Highly regulated to uh, on the federal, state, and local level. Bars and convenience stores. Strike that. Tap rooms. Out of their production breweries. Senate Bill 312, House Bill 672, create an unlimited... Scratch that. Limited to 50... Uh, sorry, to 5,000 uh, BBLs per year. So barrels per year. Barrels per year. Exclusive carve-out. Strike that. Right... For craft brewers that no strike all other retailers in Texas enjoy. Craft brewers can already operate across all three tiers, unlike any other malt beverage participant. That's not part of that one. It's part of the next one. Cool. To say that Texas is the only state to not allow beer to go sells for small craft brewers is simply not true. Strike simply not this misleading term, other malt beverage participants, encompasses a handful of multinational, uh, multi-million barrel fact- uh, manufacturers within Texas plants and out-of-state breweries whose products are sold in Texas but do not have fac- any facilities in Texas. Regulations vary by state to state on the production, distribution, and retail of malt beverages. For instance, some states like Texas allow craft brewers to sell beer at brew pubs while others allow the sales at craft breweries. All 49 other states. Texas has passed legislation exclusively carving out limited self-distribution and taproom retail sales for craft brewers at their production facilities slash brewery bars. The the, the carve-outs allow these manufacturers to also operate on a limited basis as distributors and and retailers. Uh, Carry-outs should be striked as rights. The Beer Alliance of Texas supports the exclusive legislative carve-outs. Strike exclusive legislative for rights. Craft brewers currently enjoy. However, further carve-outs sought for... Strike rights. 
sought for off-premise consumption to go beer cells are unnecessary and serve only to benefit craft brewers at the expense of the traditional retailer tier. Uh, they are unnecessary in the eyes of wholesalers, uh, and uh, that whole point, except studies have shown that taproom sales lead consumers to uh, be more likely to continue to purchase uh, a brewery's products in the future at retail. So, these restaurants, bars, grocers, and convenience stores, those that and, are the most hurt. And breweries. <laughs> are some of the our community's most long-standing and cherished employers and economic drivers, while the Beer Alliance of Texas has been supportive in assisting small Texas craft brewers in getting better access to the market, we must be mindful not to raise just one boat, the craft brewers. Uh, the boats of the state of Texas, Texas consumers, and Texas craft brewers. At the expense, expense of other market participants. Uh other words, wholesalers. So what really happened here was that there was a letter that went out to all of these legislators and that spread, and I hate this word, fake news. Um, what really was said inside this letter was that the, 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 the wholesalers were getting really kind of upset. The fact that they weren't able to uh, basically take their own cut of every other product that was being made by these companies and so they sent out this letter that uh, the great state of Texas had craft brewers that kind of refuted in in more or less words. Hmm. Yeah, that it, it it one with uh, it's interesting to see them going. Nope, wrong, 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 wrong. Indeed. I yeah, like the, the I think the this. last line yeah. is kind of really jabby. Um, it goes for um, all those Republican, not to get too political, but it's usually I think they're really calling out the Republicans that say the the you know the the beer alliance here, all the distributors say it's surprising to hear free market champions calling for even more exclusive limited carb outs for craft brewers. It's and then the craft brewers say it's a surprising to hear. Uh, a right that's currently enjoyed by Texas wineries, distilleries, and brew pubs, as well as manufacturing breweries in all 49 other states, being referred to as a carve-out. So I think the really the, the real kind of breakdown of this entire thing is there's a big war going on between distributors and breweries right now. In at Texas? least in Texas. Yeah. A whole lot of mic dropping. <laughs> yeah. Like this is like this whole letter should I want to print this out and frame it because that is amazing. <laughs> like it's the most backhanded thing I've ever seen. I want to take this letter out to a nice dinner <laughs> and then call it the next night to see how everything went. And, you know, ask it out for a second date. I mean, a, a good political action committee should be 98 percent marketing. Mm -hmm. And I think this is definitely there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, gosh, yeah, whoever grabbed a hold of this and said, no, we're just going to take this thing apart. Let's <laughs> go ahead and put their own letter out there and then just, nope, th these are the edits. Yeah, it's like, what if we just re-put re it out? But also... Bad clip went, art and everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, the, yeah. The bad clip art Stein at the top of it. Ugh. It's just awful. I know that like that logo that they've got looks like they okay so I, I went right. on Fiverr this week and had Fiverr design a logo and you let me just say you get what you pay for I paid $42 <laughs> for a logo 
I got a $42 logo. <laughs> this ain't no Nike logo that you got for uh, five bucks on a deal. This is this is definitely a $42 logo. <laughs> I was going to say, like, the Nike logo is pretty simple. I feel like they got that one cheap. They did. They paid five bucks for it. Oh, I'm pretty sure it's five bucks. I'll, I'll, I'll double check. But no, no, uh, no, you're fine. I'm just like, man, someone's got to be kicking themselves. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Thirty five dollars. Oh. Nike logo cost them thirty five dollars in 1971. Today, it's valued at six hundred twenty five thousand uh, dollars. I need to do an inflation thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Not the thirty five from 71 is is like six twenty five. But yeah, no, I'm just curious today. as thirty five dollars in 1975 you said yep uh that is roughly one hundred and sixty-two dollars and ten cents in two thousand seventeen money. So, yeah, um, they got their money's worth. <laughs> if you go and buy what the uh, Texas Wholesaler Association has uh, purchased here, you get basically what one secretary's created on her uh, Microsoft Word app. Yep. <laughs> Someone's so, an MS Paint going. Doo, doo. The star was from MS Paint. The sign they got off of like uh, some some sort of website for free, yeah. and yeah. then the, they they added the star because it's the star of Texas, right? Deep in the heart of Texas. No. No. <laughs> I, w- I won't hear it. Yeah. So let's see what happens. I really want to see how this uh, these new bills go through and uh, how how that kind of works out over the next few weeks. I want uh, more. Much better than the state. Or, sorry, much better than the U- United States as far as uh, government being ran. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, uh, I think we've got some untapped to talk about. We do. Get riggedy, riggedy, it's a It's a slow season for untapped, but there, there's something there. There's a nugget. Well, Devil's Backbone wants to bring you the Logger Bowl. Bum, bum, bum. Can they legally say that? Well, the logger bowl. Yeah. yeah. It's not the superb owl. No, no the, not the superb owl. The culmination of American football season is fast approaching, but there's another bowl uh, brewing slow by nature. A bowl uh, in which you will be able to help decide the outcome. Will Vienna logger or gold leaf logger? Uh, check, your fa- check into your favorite Devil's Backbone logger between January 20th, so... To, as of recording tomorrow uh, and February 3rd. So that's not a lot of time uh, to determine this year's champion in the logger bowl. Uh, and yeah, basically just check into one of those two and you should be able to get the uh, logger bowl 2019 badge. And if I was going to guess Vienna logger is better. If I was to guess, yeah, I would say their Vienna logger is, was good. Uh, I think I'll I'll check into a Boston Lager. Uh, I haven't had a Boston Lager in a good long while. You know, I'll check into anything that isn't AB and Bev. Still, still waiting to see what happens uh, in Asheville uh, because we're going to be literally across the street from uh, the Funkatorium. I went. The beer was still good, but I didn't have previous Funkatorium. I didn't have previous Wicked Weed beer to compare it to. They also do. Really dumb uh, ways of doing, you know, flights. You choose a pre-selected flight. I don't care for that. Yeah, yeah. Big places are starting to run them that way. 
I understand for some things, but there should also be a create your own option is all I'm saying. Yeah. All right. Well, I do believe we have a topic that is the complete opposite of anything ABM Bev. Go wow. We got to have I was going to say, like, Chris, like, should we cut that down? You shut your mouth. <laughs> we're, we're just you, jamming, right? You don't cut off. You don't cut the parliament. <laughs> All right. No, we are talking about wild ales today, which may be a little funky. Mm, that funk. Mm. Well, at some point in history, all beers were probably sour beers, at least compared to how they are now. Uh, Today's mega brewers are so cl- are so clean in their producing that what comes out of the bottle may actually be referred to as nearly sterile, having been pasteurized. Uh, this is not the case for wild beers, uh, wild beer producers who, uh, in the world. When Budweiser is bottled, it will change very little as it ages. Beyond oxygen and light, there's practically nothing that will impart a different flavor to the beer. Sour beers, however, they age change over time like wine i'm told mm. eventually into vinegar right well that i mean with some of the later <laughs> things that we're going to be talking about yes actually <laughs> uh they are alive with a number of creatures and i like to murder things when i drink so uh <laughs> that take that clip out of context uh, anyway they're alive with a number of creatures that change the beer even after it has become bottled uh Today we're going to talk about these living beers, where they came from, what makes them sour, and a little touch on the process that are required to make the best sour beers. So as we mentioned, nearly all beers, once upon a time, were wild to some extent. The presence of microorganisms in the beer beyond standard yeast strains would be unavoidable prior to pasteurization uh, and the modern and modern brewing techniques. Even today, craft brewers strive to maintain proper sanitation, uh, but some minuscule levels of these souring organisms may still make their way into the final product. Uh, I remember hearing you guys like way back early in the show when there was a a you know beer taste uh, a beer competition thing you guys were stewarding at, and they had they had a wild wild ale category or a sour category, yeah, and they went you put that outside. Away yeah. from everything. It was in a brewery, I, and it was like, hold, like if any of those had gotten loose in there, like you, you're like, how could that get loose? Like, no, you could pop any one of those, and if it like sprays out, then it's out, and there's no getting it back in. Yep. It's important to see sour beers as a category to themselves as a way to expand the number of flavors that are available. But it's also important to note that not everything that makes a sour beer good is known and. These categories of beers beyond any other require more stringent following of, tra- of tradition than any other category. It's it tradition. goes back tradition, yeah, from the filler on the roof. Um, it goes back to some of these breweries that are traditional and have been doing this for hundreds of year, years. Have tried to open new breweries, 
but can't because they can't replicate the things that they're they're they've done in their original brewery. So they're like, hey, we'd love to expand, but we don't know how to because it's so mysterious what goes on. Yeah, it comes back uh, to that. Sorry, old, I'm just the old thing just, where people were trying to replicate, you know, all the dings in the fermenters when it was yeah. uh, when they were trying to build a new still or everything just to try and replicate all that old magic. Because it like there is something in all that old equipment, and it's the, the way use. it it catches in certain ways, how things build up. That spot in the top corner you can never quite clean out, you know. Yeah. Uh, also, I'm just picturing Fiddler on the Roof now. Like so, there's so, like a brewer walking around going, yeah, scratching their head about how the Fiddler on the Roof has come back. Like it has made, like came out of the grave, and it is all anyone can talk about now is the new fiddler on the roof. And I'm like, really? What? Yeah. Oh no, I, I we just used to make fiddler jokes a lot. So. Yeah, like no, that I remember, like high school was just a lot of fiddler on the roof jokes for us. And it's like, <laughs> no, it's it's back and it's popular again. And you're like, really? <laughs> like in theater? And like, yeah. Listen, that really I, says a lot about us as as people, though. And it's like, yeah, in high school, just a lot of fiddler jokes. Like, yeah, we broke into Matchmaker a lot. I was in a small stage production of Fiddler. Ain't nobody thinking that's popular. <laughs> it is, believe it or not. Uh, them, them theater kids is all back into it. You know. Anyway, let's get back to sour beers, which can come in a variety of types. Uh, they get their start from Europe in the regions today known as Belgium and France uh, that expanded to regional styles across the world. One of these regional styles that bears mention today is the Berliner Weiss. Mm. The Weiss from Berlin. I don't know. Sorry. I'm trying to. I went crazy German for a minute. The Berliner White? Yes. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Uh, this style specifically changed and evolved over the years, and today resembles something more Americanized than the than traditional. We're not covering Berliner Weiss today, however, you can actually get the whole episode about it uh, if you go back in the archives and find episode eighty-seven. Wow, was that long ago? Uh, yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> yeah, I was like eighty-seven. It couldn't have been that long. I look up in the corner, it's like one fifteen. Oh God! <laughs> wow. I tried. I went back and looked. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's 87. Yeah. I get lost uh, when I dig back through the archive every now and then. I'm just like, oh, God, there's so many. If you'd like to search anything on the archive, you can always go to haveadrinkshow.com, go to episodes, and then search. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's start out with the East Flanders Red. Well, Hadley Ho there, neighborino. So, all right. Then when, where was our – we've mentioned Flanders before. Where did that come up? Oh, that's a good question. I think we uh, did just a little talk about when we talked to sour beers in general. Yeah, that was that was like within the first ten it was episodes. Like, what like European sour yeah. specifically? Oh, yeah. or it was like our our ales episode, and we had first mentioned it there. So it was it was in our it was in the European sours because Casey had just brewed episode eighteen brewed a Flanders. So it was in the top of the first twenty. Yeah, you just brewed a Flanders. So we I think we tasted that during it, or some of us did. Well, the East Flanders Red is uh, an indigenous, indigenous beer of West Flanders. Wait. Uh, typified by the products of Rodenbach Brewery, established in uh, 1820 in West Flanders, but reflective of earlier beer brewing traditions. 
Uh, the beer is aged for up to two years in huge oaken barrels, which contain uh, resident bacteria. Oh, this is the West Flanders Red. Okay. Sorry about that. Yep. No, it's fine. I was just like, huh. They just trying to throw us off? You know, Greenland's cold and Iceland's warm? Uh, huh. Wait a minute. What? Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure out which kind of beer this is in a minute. But it was once common in Belgium and uh, and and England uh, to blend old beers with young and balance the sourness and acidity uh, found in aged beer. While blending batches for consistency is now common among lar- larger breweries, this type of blending is a fading art. So this uh, Flanders Red is sour, fruity, red wine-like Belgian style with an interesting supportive malt flavors and fruit complexity. The dry finish and tannins complete the mental image of a fine red wine. It is a complex, fruity, sour aroma profile and with supporting malts that often give a wine-like impression of fruitiness. Uh, wine-like impression. Uh, fruitiness is high and reminiscent of black cherries, orange pl- uh, oranges, plums, or red currants. Uh, they are often low to medium, uh, low vanilla or and or chocolate notes. Uh, spicy phenols uh, nope didn't pass out uh, can be present in low amounts for complexity getting better guys caught yourself managed, that time managed to finish the sentence Ugh. Uh, the sour aroma ranges from balanced to intense but prominent vinegary aesthetic character is inappropriate uh, the beer will have no hop aroma, and diacetyl is perceived only in very minor qualities, if at all, as a complementary aroma. Uh, the color of Flanders red is deep, as a uh, deep red, burgundy to reddish brown with good clarity, white to very pan, uh, very pale tan head, and average to good head retention. Uh, intense fruitiness in the flavor commonly includes plums, orange, black cherry, or red currant flavors. Sour range from complementary to intense can have a acidic bite. Multi flavors range from complementary to prominent and uh, often have a soft, toasty, rich quality. Uh, generally, sour characters increases and the malt character blends into more of a background flavor and vice versa. Uh, there should be no hop flavor and restrained hopped bitterness, although acidic tannin bitterness is often present. Uh, low to moderate hop amount, uh, low to moderate amounts and aged uh, uh, an aged red wine like character and finish. Uh, prominent vinegary acidic flavor is inappropriate. Yeah, so it shouldn't be like a vinegar flavor to it. Yeah. Which is indicative that it has a little too much oxygen in the beer. Yeah, well, oxidizing and getting some of that blah in there. Yep. Uh, blah is a very technical term, by the <clears throat> way. Exactly, yes. Uh, long aging and blending of young and well-aged beer often occurs, adding to the smoothness and complexity, although aged product is sometimes released as a connoisseur's beer. Uh, Flanders Red is known as the Burgundy of Belgium. Something like should be piloting a biplane in, you know, in World War I. <laughs> Uh, it's more wine-like than any other beer style. The reddish color is a product of malt, although a- although the boil and aging will also darken the beer. Yeah. Flanders Red is more acidic, but never vinegar-like, and the fruity flavors are more reminiscent of wine. Uh, Saccharomyces, lactobacillus, and bretomyces, and uh, acetobacter uh, 
contribute to the fermentation and eventual flavor. Wow, can we all just stop and realize how easy it is to read some of these yeast names after a few years? It gets to you, right? <laughs> like I stopped and I went, didn't even pause. I went, yeah, no, I know what these words are. <laughs> Champion. Uh, so happy with anyway, the I- IBUs usually range between 10 and 25. Uh, ABV 4.6 to 6.5%. Commercial examples include uh, Cuvée de Jacobin Rouge, uh, Duchesse de Bourgogne, uh, Bourgogne, Bourgogne, yes, uh, Rodenbach Grand Cru, uh, Rodenbach Classic, and Vichentire Flemish Ale. Vichentire. The only one I've ever found in a liquor store, and it was the Liquor Barn, which is an amazing liquor store, is the Rodenbach Grand Cru. So those commercial examples are like worldwide, and in America, Rodenbach Grand Cru is probably the only one you go to find. I think I actually might have seen the Rodenbach Grand Cru today. Uh, It wasn't in the section I was looking at for the stuff, but I think I went around where their imports are, and I was like, okay, I think you're also what I'm looking for, but I'll... (laughs) So, we're going to move on in, and I'm not going to handle a lot of these words nearly as as well as Justin. So we're going to move into the Flanders Brown or the Eau de Brune. Eau de Brune sounds a lot better than Flanders Brown. Yeah. Flanders. Flanders. Uh, the Eau de Brune is malty, fruity, aged, somewhat sour Belgian style brown ale. An old ale tradition uh, indigenous to East Flanders, typified uh, by products of the Leafman Brewery, now owned by Riva which has roots back to the 1600s, historically brewed. These ain't new beers. No. There, there was a moment when he said Riva that I heard Riva, and I was like, wait, McIntyre? The <laughs> country music? No. Leading? No? Okay. Pour me. Pour me. <laughs> Pour, me. Pour me a beer. Historically brewed as a provision beer that would, be, uh, that would develop some sourness as it aged. These beers are typically more sour than current commercial examples. While Flanders red beers are aged in oak, the brown beers are warm aged in stainless steel. That doesn't sound as uh, as old, appealing. As old timey. Mm-hmm. It has a complex combination of fruity esters and rich malt uh, character. Uh, I'm still here. His still here. Was, his head was bobbling. Medium he's, to he's medium. getting better this year. Medium to medium high esters, commonly reminiscent of raisins, plums, figs, dates, black cherries, or prunes. Medium to low, medium high malt character of caramel, toffee, orange. Oh, that's just everything. I can only get it so erect. <laughs> this that's this is the style of the beer that's in my glass right now. So I'm just oh. like, mm, yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that too. <laughs> I'm pretty sure mine was actually a a, a, a red Flanders. Uh, or at least that was what they were basing it off of. And we'll talk about it later. Yeah, but. or or chocolate. Add chocolate on that. Uh, spicy phenols can be present in low amounts for complexity. A Man, sh- this episode is getting real hard on you guys. <laughs> yep, it, it's a rough one, Bob. Sorry. <laughs> a sherry-like character may be present and generally denotes an aged example. Uh, a low sour aroma may be present and can modestly increase with age but should not grow to a noticeable uh, acidic slash vinegary character hop aroma absent uh, so your diacetyl is perceived only in very minor quantities 
if at all, as a complimentary aroma. So, yeah, you're not going to get that buttery quality, maybe lightly, lightly in the back. You know, some of the bacteria that is uh, normally present in this type of beer can produce acetal, but it's not like the feature of it. It's, yeah. it's a supporting actor, if anything at all. It's not like a fat it's, tire where you're pouring it into your mashed potatoes. Oh, so. It's um, your Steve Buscemi of. <laughs> let me just say. So. I'm sorry. I, I've got to do this because you just you you led right into it. and It only makes more sense. Steve, what I'm the beer I'm having right now is made by New Belgium, okay? And New Belgium created this beer, and New Belgium actually put their fat tire in the same sort of uh, of bacteria's and yeasts that this beer was in, and it actually removed the diacetyl. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> it was so crazy the way they did things. So they, they put it in and they said, okay, let's just put this over here and, and let it just sit for a while. And it came out with no diacetyl. <laughs> it was it was crazy. I just thought it was kind of funny. It's fantastic. Whatever <laughs> it is, it's making that diacetyl. That, it's, uh, it's magic. That it cleans just, it up. Is that yeast just ate it on up? Like, I'm, I'm just like, oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. Old Bruin is dark reddish brown to brown in color, has good clarity as well as average to good head retention, ivory to light tan head color. The flavor is malty with fruity complexity and typically some caramel character. Medium to medium high fruitiness commonly includes dark or dried fruit such as raisins, plums, figs, dates, black cherries, or prunes. Medium to medium, right? Medium low to medium high, meaning to say anywhere in the what you would consider medium range. The medium range of sorts. <laughs> yeah, of malt character. Uh, for caramel, toffee, orange, oh, chocolate, all those good good things. Uh, spicy phenols can be present in low amounts for complexity. A slight sourness often comes more pronounced in well-aged examples. Along yep. with some sherry-like character producing a sweet and sour profile, sourness should not grow to a noticeable uh, acidic or vinegary character. Wait, so it's a sweet and sour profile? So you're telling me I should have chicken nuggets with it? You could mix this into your Chinese food, and it would be perfect. <laughs> sweet and sour chicken. Oh, man. Imagine cooking with... Uh, with sour beers? Yeah. That could Boy, be interesting. Yeah. So that's mm -hmm. uh, that's getting into uh, urban artifact territory with their uh, Epicurean series, which... Uh, good friend seeing he's at the jungle gyms barrel age beer bash tonight and um they have a barrel aged asparagus sour beer wait what yeah an asparagus like is the asparagus post pee or pre-pee i have no <laughs> idea what do you mean like when you pee you smell it or like asparagus is one smell but a asparagus pee is a totally different smell no, they brewed or is this. the asparagus only in the beer to make your pee smell differently? <laughs> Apparently, like the do you not know you've had an asparagus beer until you pee, or did they collect pee from someone who had just had asparagus they, and put it into the beer? They brewed the damn thing with asparagus. <laughs> <laughs> we so tried. The balance is malty, but with fruitiness and sourness present, it's going to have a sweet and tart finish. Uh, a base of pills malt with judicious amounts of dark caramalts and a tiny bit of black or roast malts. Often yeah. includes maize, saccharomyces, lactobacillus, and uh, 
always had trouble with this one. Uh, what I can't remember the episode we first came across it, but I, I remember stumbling on it for like five minutes and you guys like yelling at me. Uh, acetobacter is the acetobacter. And like uh, acetic acid is what it's really meaning. It's a bacteria that produces acetic acid. Think think back home, Chris. Think someone's got a, a, a thing of skull. Acetobacter. Ah. Acetobacter. Acetobacter. Okay. Contribute <laughs> to the fermentation and eventual flavor. Uh, lactobacillus reacts poorly and elevated levels of alcohol. Uh, water high in carbonates is typical of its home region and will buffer the acidity of dark malts and the lactic sourness. So let me let me stop you. I, I'm going to let you finish. Um, so water high in carbonates basically means that it's got a very big buffer system for acid. Mm. So as you add, as acid builds up in a beer, it doesn't do anything. The beer stays the same pH. It doesn't taste any more acidic until it really goes over all the buffer capacity that's got there. And then it goes acidic real quick. So the high carbonates really means that it's kind of slow at first. And then it, it does this whole like dip down into the acid um, level. And it, it kind of goes um, not really acidic, not really acidic, not really acidic. And then really acidic all at Boom. once. Yep. All right. Well, uh, magnesium in the water is going to accentuate the sourness. Yeah. Cause it, it kind of takes out some of that buffering capacity. Also let you just light it up in one strike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So a deeper malt character distinguishes these beers from Flanders Red Ales. Uh, the Old Bruin is less acidic uh, and maltier than Flanders Red. And the fruity flavors are more malt-oriented. So you're going to get more of a... Um, in the Flanders Red, you're going to... Oh, let me let me rephrase that. You're In the Flanders Red, you're going to get more acid. In the Old Bruin, you're going to get more malt. And so the dark maltiness, it's almost like the difference in a uh, like an oyster stout. It mm-hmm. kind of pushes it more towards that, hey, I, I kind of even things out a little bit. I'm a little bit sour, but I'm more malt forward. While as the Flanders Red is, hey, I'm really acidic. I'm pushing a whole lot of sour out there. That sounds like a good like 80s, 80s song, pushing a whole lot of sour. <laughs> It's a uh, um, Still Panther album. There you go. (laughs) There it is. Long aging and blending of young and aged beer may occur, adding uh, smoothness and complexity and balancing any harshness uh, sour character. This style was designed to lay down, uh, so examples with a moderate aged character are considered superior to younger examples. As in uh, fruit lambics, Eau Bruins can be used as a base for fruit-flavored beers, such as a creek, which is going to be, you know, cherries, or frambozen? Frambois. 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 Raspberries. Uh, So your IBU is 20 to 25, ABV is 4 to 8. A a general beer. So a little bit higher on the the IBUs. A little bit more bitterness in there. And I like the commercial examples are basically uh, the ones... That you would see making uh, lambics, which will be the next. But uh, Leifman's uh, Goldenbrand, Leifman's Udbrun, and Petrus Udbrun. I think I saw all these today. Yeah, the Petrus uh, is uh, the most common, I think, in the U.S. at least. Yeah, I tried to get a sixtal keg of it. Three hundred bucks. 
Deadpool. Oh, yeah. No kidding, right? That was like five years ago. I tried to get a, a keg of that. <laughs> like Jeez. five gallons, $300. It ain't cheap. So no. we're going to get in now into one of the uh, most debated things when it comes to <laughs> appellations and uh, Appellation. beer, appellations in beer is the Appalachians. Lambic. <laughs> no. the, the Lambic. And that is like there is that is that's a trigger warning for some people. You want to start mm-hmm. talking about Lambic. So let me go ahead and put this out there. When we talk about Lambic. It is not a fruit lambic. So if you're drinking Lindemans with raspberries, if you're doing the the creek, the cherry version, if you're doing any of those, this is not a true lambic. So we're totally off from that. It's, you, that is a warning. fruited lambic, which is a totally different category. I saw a whole bunch of those today. <laughs> yep. And which is a sour that has fruit in it, but it is not a traditional standard lambic. And we'll say that. All right. Lambic is, or Appalachians aside, we're going to move on and just talk about the style. We're not going to talk about the Appalachian. We're not going to get into that. Not today. Maybe we'll do a Lambic episode. Have we done a Lambic episode? I don't even remember. Mm, that's a good call. I so. I don't think we have. That's I think add. we may have talked about it in that sour episode that we need to do. It yeah. needs its own episode. Add it to yeah, the list. Yeah, the Europeans. Yeah. It needs its own episode. Add it to the list. Uh, all right. Lambic is fairly sour, often moderately funky, wild Belgian wheat beer with sourness taking the place of hot bitterness in the balance. Tradition- so uh, your your maltiness can actually bring around a lot of sweetness, and a beer that's too sweet can be kind of cloying, and it makes you sick, makes you kind of want to throw up. The sourness brings that back. Okay, yeah. Traditionally spontaneously fermented in the Brussels area and served uncarbonated. The refreshing, That's the key. Yeah, the refreshing acidity makes for a very pleasant cafe drink. Spontaneously fermented wild ales from the area uh, in and around Brussels, the Sine Valley, stem from a farmhouse brewing tradition several centuries old. The number of producers is constantly dwindling. A decidedly sour aroma is often dominant in young examples, but may become more subdued with age, as it blends with aromas described as barnyard, earthy... Here it is. Uh, we had this whole thing. Goaty. Goat. Goaty. It came up, uh, I think it was on Twitter uh, a while back. That was maybe a couple of years ago. About the goaty flavor. Then we had to look into it. <laughs> but hay, horsey, and horse blanket. So when that came up, uh, short aside here, why was it like saying a beer was goaty took us so aback? And we're like, what the hell does that mean? What are they talking about? But saying, hey, horsey or horse blanket, we all immediately are like, oh, no, I know where that's coming. Like, you know it. You ever smell the goat, though? (sighs) It's been a while. (laughs) It's been a while since I smelled the goat. No, um, goat, like goat cheese has a very distinct aroma. A delicious aroma. I don't get goat. I mean, I get goat better than I get horsey. Like, I I get, I guess I get horse poo, but... (laughs) We're talking uh, Arby's horsey sauce? better than I get horse poo. Let's quit horseying around. (laughs) I'm not proud of that, but I knew it had to happen. Bless your heart. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Bless his heart. All right, a mild citrus fruity aroma is considered favorable. 
as in most situations. <laughs> so you're going to get a, a smoky cigar-like or cheesy aroma uh, being unfavorable. You don't you don't want that cheese. Don't want. That I was going to say like I don't think I want cheese flavor in my beer. Older versions are commonly fruity with aromas of apples, even honey. Uh, no hop aroma. I think all these are going to be like no hop aroma. Yeah. So we may mention this a little bit later in the episode, but I do want to mention it right now. Hops kind of limit bacteria growth. Yeah. And most of these beers have some bacteria in them. So you do a little bit of back, you do a little bit of hops, but it's not because you want the bitterness. It's not because you want the hop aroma or hop it's flavor. You, it's because you want it to be called a beer. It's because you want it to be called a beer, and you want just a shade of that antibacterial, antimicrobial effect that some of the hops do. So most of these bacteria or microbes are going to be okay with hops, but they're not going to be to the point where – Oh, you can throw just all the hops there and we'll be all right with it. It's just sort of like uh, a little bit of hops will kill off some of these other things, but not these. That makes any sense. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's like, here's a little bit. This will kill some of it off, but not enough that it's going to affect anything. Right. So pale Just yellow, enough to where it's safe. Pale yellow to deep golden in color. Uh, age tends to darken the beer. Uh, I think that's generally what happens. Uh, clarity yeah, is... Yeah, oxidation is, is kind of the big big enemy of beer color yeah uh crack open a new england that's uh, a couple months old and it's, yeah exactly it's gonna be gray or brown yep. uh, clarity is hazy to good uh, younger versions are often cloudy while older ones are generally clear white colored head generally has poor retention <laughs> young examples are often noticeably lactic sour uh, but aging can bring this character more in balance with the malt uh, wheat and barnyard characteristics. Fruity flavors are simpler in young lambics and more complex in older examples where they are reminiscent of apples and other light fruits, uh, rhubarb or honey. Mm. Mm. I just immediately started thinking... Uh, <laughs> have Has the show gone on so long that our flavors, our taste profiles have gotten very similar? Listen, uh, rhubarb and honey sounds like amazing combination. I'm hearing um, that and I was picturing immediately, I heard rhubarb and honey and I was picturing the new Glarus logo. Oh, see, I, I've been watching like so much British Bake Off. That's that, a, my mind immediately they make went rhubarb there. In everything. Someone, someone has to tell me if there's like a honey rhubarb beer from New Glarus. There has to be. I don't know, but I was just picturing like pie and then <laughs> exactly. like drizzling honey. Some, oh, sorry, some telling citrus, you British Bake Off, they put rhubarb in everything. Some citrus flavor, often grapefruit, is occasionally noticeable and is desirable. Uh, the malt and wheat character are typically low, uh, with some bready, grainy notes. Uh, so you're going to get that smoky cigar-like character being undesirable in this kind of a beer. Um, what do we, oh, Casey's holding up his serendipity. Yeah. You, you started talking about fruit and uh, New Glarus, and I was like, we're having this tonight. I don't care. <laughs> going to open your your bomber of serendipity? That's exactly right. Hot bitterness is low to none and generally undetectable. Uh, sourness Gosh, provides a balance. I was going to say, in fairness, he should have like a, a a capper somewhere nearby. He could he could reseal that. Typically, uh, it's going to have a dry finish with no hop flavor. Uh, light to medium light body, in spite of the low finishing gravity. Uh, the mini mouth, yeah, mini mini mouth, <laughs> mini mouth, mouth filling, mouth filling flavors prevent the beer from feeling like water. 
as a rule of thumb, lambic dries with age, which makes dryness a reasonable indicator of age. Has a medium high tart puckering quality without being sharply astringent. Traditional versions are virtual are virtually to completely uncarbonated. So no no carb. Uh, no carb. Bottled examples can pick up moderate carbonation with age. Straight lambics are single batch uh, unblended beers. Since they are unblended, the straight lambic is often a true product of the house character. A brewery and uh, will be more variable than a goose. <laughs> they are generally served young, uh, six months, and on tap as cheap, easy-drinking beers without any filling carbonation. Uh, younger versions tend to be <laughs> one-dimensionally one sour. Uh, a complex Brett character often takes upwards of a year to develop. Yeah, that's... That's kind of one thing that's bugged me with bread IPAs as they come around is they're still pushed on you very much not to have them fresh, but that seems to be the the kind of what happens is when you get a good bread IPA and then you crack it way too early and you're like, ah, damn it. And you're like, no, I should have been reading to him at night. <laughs> Maturing it. Them. All right, so... Um, Taking it to classes so it knew how to behave, like you know, <laughs> salad. For, you know, build on the you know build your cutlery on the way out. You know, salad fork, dinner fork. <laughs> a noticeable vinegary or cidery character is considered uh, a fault by Belgian brewers, since uh, the wild yeast and bacteria will ferment all sugars. They are typically bottled only when they have completely fermented. Unmalted wheat uh, this is going to be thirty to forty percent. Uh, Pilsner malt. And aged hops, three years, are used. Uh, the aged hops are used more for preservation effect than bitterness, like Casey was talking about before, and makes actual bitterness levels uh, difficult to estimate. Traditionally, these... Because <laughs> you, you never know. After three or four years, you never know how many actual IBUs are left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Traditionally, these beers are spontaneously fermented with naturally occurring yeast and bacteria in predominantly oaken barrels. The barrels used are neutral with uh, little oak character, so don't expect a fresh or forward oak character. Homebrewed and craft-brewed versions are more typically made with pure cultures of yeast, commonly including Saccharomyces, Brettanomyces, Pediococcus, Pediococcus, and Lactobacillus in an attempt to recreate the effects of the dominant Microtobia of Brussels and the surrounding countryside of the Sine River Valley. Cultures taken... I want, I want to name a river in a uh, some sort of D&D setting. Pidiokaka. Cultures taken from bottles are sometimes used, but there is simply no way of knowing what organisms are still viable. So IBUs, 0 to 10, like we were talking about, it's just you can't really get it. <laughs> ABV is going to be 5 uh, to 6.5, pretty pretty drinkable beers. Traditionally served uncarbonated from pitchers. The only true-to-style bottled version readily available is Cantillon Grand Cru Brossella. So that's an interesting point with this one. You're not finding Lambics. It's that one Cantillon, and, and it's kind of funny that they say that's the readily available version. 
Yeah. When, when you say Cantillon is yeah. readily available, you know it's a really rare you're kind living, of beer. Yeah, you're living in a dream world because <laughs> yeah. seeing a single Cantillon in a year is uh, that's kind of the norm. It, it, you just see a Cantillon, you're like, oh. Yeah, most commonly you're going to find the fruity versions of these. Um, that's that's the most common version. A traditional lambic is almost unheard of when in a bottle version, at least. Yeah, that's uh, so when it starts going on about oh the <laughs> the ones you're going to find and like so the uh, cam sometimes bottles they're very old five year lambics. Uh, in and around Brussels, there are specialty cafes that often have draft lambics from traditional brewers or blenders, uh, such as Boone, De Camp, Cantillon, uh, Tres Fontaine, or Dre Fontaine, uh, Trey, 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 uh, Lindemans, uh, you're, you're gonna see that absolutely everywhere, with the fruited ones. Yeah, uh, the fruited ones, yep. Yeah. Uh, Timmons and Gerden. Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo So the fruited versions, as the final note here, yeah, those are going to be the easier ones to find. Gonna gonna find them. And they're a completely different um, category. Whenever you look at beer categories, they get judged. The fruited versions are completely different from the traditional versions. Yep. But we're talking about the traditional versions today because they are the traditional sour. Which is uh, one of the fun things about uh, what I'm excited with going to New Belgium, at least again the one in Asheville for Drinktacular, is getting to getting to go down to the fooder room. Mm. Always fun. Go down to the what? The I fooders. like the I like the phrase fooder room. The fooder room. <laughs> that sounds like one like one term. It's re- it's exactly like from. Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, or whichever way you want to say it. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Willy Wonka. If you're talking about the book or the movie, it doesn't matter. Mm. And it's like, the chocolate room. And when you go down to New Belgium, they're like it's the same thing. It's like these big oaken wooden doors, and they're like, the fooder room. And push the doors open, and you, you just hear the music in your head. And you wanna... Can I open my storybook here and tell you a quick story? Because I know we're going a little bit long. Oh, yeah. But from American Sour Beers... They tell the story of the fooders. And in the case of fooder number nine, it's like a uh, little bit magic of fooder on my mind, a little bit of beer in my tongue. In the case of fooder number nine, the first batch aged and it had to be dumped because the beer was not satisfactory. Following this, New Belgium aged a high bitterness 60 IBU beer in that fooder for a year, one whole year. To inhibit the growth of hop-sensitive microbes. All told, it took seven years from the purchase of the fooder to release of the first beer aged in it. Jeez. Seven years. Wow. Unreal. New Belgium has some dedication to these yeah. styles of beers. Uh, that's well, they like statement. Belgian styles. Fair enough. Imagine that. Speaking <laughs> of... Yeah, I got the word this time. The geez. 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 I don't know how to pronounce it, so I just pronounce it weird with an accent and pass it. That might it be off. right. I don't know. It's, so for those those wondering, it's G U E U Z E. So sounds like geez to me. Yeah. Just I just say it, it as though I'm Inspector Clouseau. Hey, you geez. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, those. Oh, guys! I made a Goonie reference at work, and like. 
one person got it, and the rest just stared at me. Bless their hearts. <laughs> Man, if we were titling today's episode. I, I was just thinking that. Uh, okay. Um, so, goose are spontaneously fermented wild ales from the area in and around Brussels. Uh, they stem from a farmhouse brewing and blending tradition several centuries old. The number of producers is constantly dwindling, and some producers are untraditionally sweetening their products to make them more palatable to wider audience. These Those guidelines, sons of bitches. <laughs> these guidelines describe the traditional dry product. This is By a- the way, uh, quick, quick little uh, update. I opened up the miracle fruit things. They aren't individual things. I'm trying oh. to dissolve one. Oh. <sighs> Casey's real. Casey's erect. For those of you not watching the video, I'll try to keep it under the table. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, it's a complex, pleasantly sour but balanced wild Belgian wheat beer. It's highly carbonated and very refreshing. Spontaneous fermentation character can provide a very interesting complexity with a wide range of wild barnyard horse blanket or leather characteristics intermingling Some... with citrusy, fruity flavors and acidity. I sometimes deal with people who have just come from like a uh, a barnyard like dealing with horses. Mm. I've become much more familiar with the smell of horse blanket. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. is, and is sad at the same time. Uh, a modestly sour aroma blends with aromas described as barnyard, leather, earthy, goaty, hay, horsey, and horse blanket. None of these sound appealing. Um, also, when you say horsey, I just think you're like trying to like be like a kid trying to describe the horse. It's a horsey. The horsey. Or horsey sauce from Arby's. Arby's uh, mm. uh, Never mind. I don't go to Arby's that much. That's for the best. Um, while some may be more dominantly sour, balance is the key and denotes a better goose. Commonly fruity, <laughs> fruity aromas of citrus fruits, often grapefruit, apples or other light fruits, rhubarb or honey. A very mild oak aroma is considered favorable. An enteric, smoky, cigar-like or cheesy aroma is unfavorable, says you, uh, but no hop aroma. Golden color with excellent clarity and a thick, rocky, moose-like white head that seems to last forever. <laughs> I don't know why. I thought you were going to say moose knuckle. <laughs> it's the moose knuckle, yeah? What the hell? Oh, no. <laughs> I prefer my beers without moose knuckle. <laughs> You're going to choke Bob to death. He's got, still got the pill thing in his mouth. He's dead, y'all. <laughs> uh, oh dear. So I'm trying not to like launch the launch this pill out onto my computer screen. Fair. Oh dear. Okay. So uh, the goose, a moderately sour character, classically bal- in balance with the malt, wheat, and barnyard characteristics. A low complementary sweetness may be present, but higher levels are not traditional. While some may be more dominantly sour, balance is the key. I read all this already, didn't I? No. Yes? I had the same thought before. I think nope. you're... Nope. On the, the BJCB guidelines, they repeat a few things. Um, I on. tried to remove those so that we weren't repeating things that, that were Uh-oh. 
too well, you, repeaty, but the flavor and aroma has a lot in common usually in these beers. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I've noticed that before. Yeah, okay, that's 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 true. So yeah, so this is the 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 flavor, and we've already talked about the aroma. Very similar, right? Things. If it exactly. smells um, like a duck, it's probably going to taste like a duck. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So so I was like, wait, these are definitely the same words. Uh, yes, they are. It turns out, um, flavor and aroma going to match on this. Um, <laughs> Uh, but in addition to what we mentioned in the aroma, uh, you also have the mild vanilla and or oak flavor. Um, so that is actually different. Um, and then the, the smoky cigar thing uh, definitely shouldn't be there still. So it should neither smell nor taste uh, like smoke. Um, <laughs> it should it should not be like a cigar? Correct. Mm. Uh, it will have right a crisp, dry, and tart finish with no hop flavor. Um, now on the body, it's a light to medium light body, um, so never not going to get heavy on this. Um, in spite of the low finishing gravity, the many mouth-filling flavors <laughs> prevent the beer from feeling like water. It has a tart, puckering quality without being sharply astringent, so much the same as, what was it, the Lambic, I think, that had the same kind of description. Um, the Goose is traditionally produced by mixing one, two, and three-year-old Lambic. Okay, that makes That's sense. the key differentiation right there because Lambic and Goose are very similar, mm. except Goose is a blend and Lambic is a single. I, I did not know that about the, the Goose either. Um, young Lambic contains fermentable sugars, while old Lambic has the characteristic wild taste of the San River Valley. A noticeable vinegary or cidery character is considered a fault by Belgian brewers. A good goose is not the most pungent, but possesses a full and tantalizing bouquet, a sharp aroma, and a soft, velvety flavor. Lambic is served uncarbonated, while goose is served effervescent. Products... Except, well, goose is 90% bubble. <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. it sounds like. Um, so, uh, products marked oud or vil, I guess, uh, are considered most traditional. Most complex and carbonated than a lamb, or more complex and carbonated than a lambic, as we discussed. Um, and the sourness isn't necessarily higher, but it tends to have more um, well-developed character. Now, the max usually on IBUs ten. <laughs> you're not getting hop <laughs> on this, uh, but you're going to have a five to eight percent ABV. Look, so guys, you're a not, little over standard. Really, you're not getting any hundred and twenty minute. IPAs. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, no one twenty the, minute goose. Guys, no one I'm going to go. Goose. The more I'm dissolving this this uh, uh, miracle fruit pill, I'm just like I'm going to go nuts in that beer fridge. <laughs> you want them all? I just want to see what they all taste like. I was like I got brutes in there. They haven't even tried without this. I just want to know what it happens from yeah. the beer fridge. <laughs> hey, call out. Uh, so it does give some commercial examples. No, uh, no, another big call out. I should have done this at the beginning. Uh, sorry to cut in with it now, but he, he sparked it in my brain. My thinkers, they they thunked. Thinking brains. Um, I completely missed it to go to the live thing, but, uh, Gnome did a big, uh, at, uh, he did a big presentation at, uh, the main branch of the Hamilton County library about the brewing history of Cincinnati. Oh, and he, Ooh, uh, awesome. It's presented as uh, an episode on Cincy Brewcast. So go check that out. It is really good. Yeah, you may it's reminiscent of the episode we did with him over at Wooden Cask and we talked about Cincinnati's brewing history. 
but uh, he goes a lot more in depth and covers a lot more of the Northern Kentucky stuff that was going on. Hmm. So uh, go check that out over nice. at Cincy Brewcast. Yes. Cool. The home of Cincy Craft. <laughs> um, okay, on the, the Goose, it gives some commercial examples, but uh, I don't think any of us have. I mean, it's just various examples of goose, Cantillon like Cantillon and, and, and the Lindemans, and yeah. So, like, yeah, um, not uh, not standard fare as far as <laughs> seeing these out and about. Um, so, next up is uh, the American Sour. Um, there's no commercial examples of this, are there? Uh, yeah, there is. Well, not listed on here. I'm sorry. Um, it was, yeah, as far as commercial examples of American uh, of American styles go, it's the Wild Wild West. Yeah, because I was like, There's I'm trying to think of, ex- of things in my head to be like, okay, oh, it's this one, you know. Look for a label that says off color or urban <laughs> artifact. <Indeed>. And <laughs> um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, pretty much. The, the cool thing about American styles right now is it's just sort of whatever you want to do. If it's sour and made in America. It's an American sour. <laughs> that, it checks all the boxes. Yeah. It's like uh, you've got breweries like Urban Artifact here in Cincinnati who are just like going out into old lagering cellars and throwing out cheesecloth traps. And they're like, we're going to get we're going to catch some old yeasts and we're going to do some stuff with it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, American sours are still in their infancy. So they really have no widely accepted classification. Even the uh, definitive work on American Sour Beers, a text by the same name, written by Michael Tonsmere, uh, doesn't classify American Sours with any more distinction except classically inspired 100% Brett Beers and American Original Sours. The trend has been to push the boundaries of the sour levels, coaxing more and more acid out of the organisms responsible. But now there appears to be a focus from some of the... Uh, larger producers to create more nuance with fruit addition and barrel aging, trying out single culture fermentations, adding non-traditional ingredients and Americanizing sour beers with American hops have all been key points of interest for this category. The best way to understand what American brewers are doing with their sources may be to examine the tools they work with the microorganisms themselves. Yeah, so American Sours, we we originally had titled this episode, I think, American Sours, and here's your behind baseball of the the, the Inside baseball. (laughs) (laughs) I intentionally did that. Um, Yeah, and I still need to shout at you. (laughs) Um, So American Sours are like, it's only been 10 years or less that this has been a thing. And so there's no true sour beer that is America other than just saying, hey, we want to make this as sour as we possibly can. It just started last week, Casey. What are you talking about? Anheuser-Busch is just now bringing sour (laughs) beers to America. What are you talking about? You're absolutely right. Um, When the history goes and writes this, history goes to the victors, right? (laughs) Exactly. Is that the way it goes? So Anheuser-Busch will be writing that they started the sour beer movement. In 2019. Uh, Yep, 100 years from now, they'll be writing that. Um, (laughs) There are five exclamation points at the end of that sentence, Bob. Um, (laughs) They're needed. But sour beers in America have just been basically, let's go as extreme as possible. Just like we went with the IBUs in beers, um, it, it, it's kind of went, let's see how sour we can make it. And that's really kind of the way it goes. So the way that happens is American brewers tend to just say, 
I know there are so many different microorganisms out there. Let's see what we can do with those individual microorganisms to make them go to their extremes. And it's almost like everything in America has been experimental up until this point. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Brettanomyces or Brettanomyces, depending on which side of the pond you come from. So uh, Brettanomyces is a non-spore-forming genus of yeast in the family Saccharomyces Saccharomyces Home run. Anyways, <laughs> if you look at the genus, species, all that stuff coming in from um, all these different uh, organisms, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, Saccharomyces, any of those those types of yeasts that you make beer out of, they all fall in the same family. And Brett is in the same family as Saccharomyces. So it's often colloquially it's often referred to as Brett. There we go. Um, so Brettanomyces, Brett, same thing. Yeast is acidogenic, which is uh, means when it's grown in a glucose-rich media under aerobic, which means without uh, air conditions, it produces large amounts of acetic acid. So Brettanomyces is important to both the brewing and wine industries due to the sensory components it produces. In the wine, Brettanomyces – sorry, I'm drunk, guys. <laughs> <laughs> who who just posted up – yeah, yeah, that's probably me right now. Um, in the wild, Brettanomyces lives on the skins of fruits. The strain Brettanomyces clausini was first classified by the Carlsberg Brewery in 1904 by N. Hajit, right? Hajit Clausen, who was investigating it as a cause of spoilage in English L's. The term Brettanomyces comes from the Greek British fungus. I like that. Hmm. In most beer styles, Brettanomyces is typically viewed as a contaminant, and the characteristics it imparts are considered unwelcomed off flavors. However, in certain styles, particularly certain traditional Belgian L's, it is appreciated and encouraged. Lambic and Goose owe their unique flavor profiles to Brettanomyces, as do wild yeast saisons or farmhouse L's. It is often also found in Old Brun and Flanders L's, as we've talked about before. Several American craft breweries intentionally use Brettanomyces in their beers. This use began with a renewed interest in Belgian-style L's and later formed new styles altogether. Some breweries use 100% Brettanomyces for their fermentations of some of their beers and omit Saccharomyces from the recipes altogether. Some American brewers state that the use of Brettanomyces may include lactic, lactic acid-producing bacteria such as lactobacillus and pediococcus in order to provide some sourness to the beer, not only that funkiness that Brett provides. While Brett is sometimes pitched into the fermenter, aging in wood barrels previously inoculated with Brettanomyces is another method used to impart the complexity contributed by these strains of yeasts. Two of the phenolic compounds, sorry, Bob, most closely associated with Chatomyces are 4-ethylphenol, described as a sweaty horse blanket, barnyard, or band-aid. I know, right? It sounds delicious. Yeah. I, who licks band-aid? <laughs> that's like a, wow, that's a two-year-old joke right there. <laughs> and four to be ethyl, a shirt. <laughs> and 4-ethylglycol, which is often characterized as smoky or spicy. Brett strains also create 
isulvaric acid, which is the same compound responsible for foot odor and putrefied <laughs> cheese aroma we associate with old oxidized hops. Mm, <laughs> Sounds mm, delicious, mm, right? Mm. All those 100% Brett beers, they taste so delicious. That there are is a popular- tasty burger. You know what? I could, I could find a way to make it make them taste different for you. Maybe there are three popular strains of Brett used in the brewing process. Brettanomyces bruxellensis is named after the city of Brussels and is closely associated with Orval, which conditions with Brett bruxellensis. The strain will deliver lots of sweaty, horsey Brett character and is available to homebrewers as White Labs WLP 650 and Yeast 5112. Sorry, that's the <laughs> horsey. Britannomyces lambicus is a strain of Brett bruxellensis. As its name suggests, it is closely associated with lambics, as well as the brown and red ales of Flanders. We've talked about those already. The strain is available to homebrewers as White Labs WLP 653 and Y-East 550, sorry, 5526 is one to go to for intense funk and sour cherry overtones. Britannomyces colicini, which is a strain of Britannomyces anomalous, is associated with the barrel-aged stock ales of the British Isles. It actually delivers some fruity funk and aroma of uh, overripe pineapple. Whenever you, you talk about those 100% um, Britannomyces beers. This is one that's really gone to quite a lot because of that overripe pineapple flavor. Um, this strain is available to white uh, in White Labs WLP six forty five. The three most common ways that you'll actually see these Brett strains employed are either in a mixed culture fermentation with conditioning. While Britannomyces itself isn't a souring agent, it's very commonly employed with the souring bacteria Lactobacillus and Pediococcus. So you can kind of combine all those together. It's really common in spontaneous fermentations. Brett conditioning um, looks like uh, sort of a barrel, bottle-aged, carboy-aged. There's kind of a combo of everything there. Hmm. You do a a Saccharomyces primary fermentation, and then you add Brett later on, and you actually get more character out of the Brett. It's kind of funny. You... If you do a 100% Brett fermentation, you'll get very little Brett character. But if you do an all Saccharomyces fermentation and then add Brett later, you'll get some really kind of cool wild yeast flavors that come from it. This oh. character is – what's that? I was just saying, oh, that's neat. Yeah, yeah. This this character is readily understood that if you can manage a kind of a side-by-side comparison of young and old bottles of Orval, you can kind of catch – Catch that kind of flavor compound kind of aging there. Um, if you introduce a Brett to uh, to a, an IPA, you can kind of get that historical Burton IPA flavor, which is more characteristic of what they probably got in India. Whenever you were sending those India, the I guess India IPAs, kind of like ATM machine, um, those IPAs to India. You probably got more of a Brett-conditioned IPA whenever you got down there. All Brett fermentation, a relatively new topic in the world of craft beer, uh, refers to a 100% Brettanomyces fermentation, and it may actually be the kind of the next big thing whenever you're looking at uh, what what beers are going to be in the next few years. 
I put that in coming from an article that was about three years old. I think that's probably passed by now, but we'll see how that goes. If you're lucky enough to get your hands on any crooked staves, uh, 100% Brett uh, fermentation beers, hmm. uh, you'll learn firsthand just how impressive an all Brett fermentation can be. Hmm. Yeah, they've got some great, uh, great 100% Brett beers. All right. Well, next of our uh, little bacterial tour we're taking, uh, Lactobacillus. Lactobacillus is the most common and most feared beer spoilage microorganism. It belongs to the group of lactic acid bacteria, which also includes, uh, what do we say, uh, pediococcus? Pediococcus. Pediococcus. Uh, there are many species of Lactobacillus, including, uh, 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 I'm just going to say L. brevis, because L, I don't want to keep saying Lactobacillus, uh, Lindneri. And L. Delbrookii. Uh, Lactobacillus bacteria are gram positive and rod shaped. <laughs> Keep it together. I'm not a, a shape. Just a shape. Uh, uh, they grow best uh, in environments with a pH of uh, about 4 to 5 and roughly a temperature of uh, 30 degrees Celsius or 85 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, now, some species of lactobacillus have a high tolerance for hop compounds and can survive under anaerobic conditions. Tenacious little buggers, I guess, is what we're trying to say. Uh, <laughs> Bugger that. Mm. Uh, like, brewer, like brewer's yeast, lactobacillus metabolizes sugars as a main source of energy. But unlike yeast, it produces lactic acid instead of alcohol. This is a desirable quality for an organism used in making such foods as yogurt. But notable lactic acidity is an off flavor in most types of beer. Lactobacillus often produces other off flavors, including diacetyl. If you're gonna make, <laughs> if you're making some kind of dairy product, you might as well also make butter. Uh, beer with a serious lactobacillus infection will often become hazy. Uh, although, God, who would drink a hazy beer? Who the barbarian? Although undesirable in most beers, there are a few styles for which lactobacillus helps create part of the beer's characteristic flavor. This includes excuse me, most Belgian sour beers, such as Lambic, American uh, sour beers, traditional Berliner Weiss, and even Belgian wit beer, which traditionally show at least a tinge of, lucid of uh, lactic acidity. Uh, malt generally has a lar has large populations of lactobacillus uh, lactobacillus in its husks. Some German brewers will use a small amount of malt to incorporate unhopped wort and sour it. Soured wort can then be used for uh, mash or kettle wort uh, acidification without violating the Reinheitsgebot. <laughs> you tell them. So acetobacter. I had to use the the little trick. Just to yeah, give me earlier. Don't you? Acetobacter is uh, a genus. Wait, what's the, what's the little trick? Is it to shout it? No, it's you treat it like it's back home. I said it oh, earlier, like a minute ago. Okay. Yeah, the, the package of skull. Of <laughs> yeah, the skull. Backer. I see it at the backer. Acetobacter <laughs> is a genus of uh, acetic acid bacteria. Acetic acid bacteria are characterized by the ability to convert ethanol to acetic acid in the presence of oxygen. Uh, Louis Pasteur proved it to be the cause of conversion of ethanol to acetic acid in 1864. 
It is a benign microorganism which is present everywhere in the environment, existing in alcohol, ecological niches, uh, which include flowers, fruits, honeybees, as well as in water and soil. That's in bees, so bees are uh, brewing something. Bees. bees are cool. Bees! Uh, it lives wherever sugar fermentation occurs. It grows best in temperatures that range from 25 to 30 degrees Celsius and in pH that ranges from 5.4 to 6.3. For a long time, it has been used in the fermentation industry uh, to produce acetic acid from alcohol. Acetobacter uh, aceti is an obligate aeroba, which means that it requires oxygen to grow, like most things on the planet. Acetobacter acidi is uh, economically important because it is used in the production of vinegar by converting ethanol to into acetic acid. The acetic acid created by a acidi is also used in the manufacturing of uh, acetate rayon, plastics products, uh, rubber production, and photographic chemicals. Acidi is uh, considered an acetophile which means it is able to survive in acetic environments. So acetobacter is the key component that makes vinegar. Oh, oh! this is what we were talking about earlier when we were saying, like, if it'll yeah. eventually turn it into vinegar. This is yep. what uh, happened in that Lupin the Third Lupin the Third episode. Yep. Wine. Yeah, the, so this is it. The wine Ac- set down by uh, Napoleon had uh, <laughs> a large quantity. You need two components to make vinegar. You need acetobacter and lots of oxygen. So in commercial vinegar production, you have acetobacter, and then you have a pump that produces uh, more, or most of the time it just circulates oxygen through the liquid, and that helps the acetobacter produce basically the acid, which is uh, acetic acid, um, vinegar. In like... Your your other productions of vinegar, like uh, um, oh, what's the really fancy vinegar? Um, fancy vinegar? I know there's there's vinegar and there's apple cider vinegar. Really, uh, really fancy, really expensive uh, balsamic. Oh, balsamic. Oh, oh, oh yes. Okay. They put in barrels, and barrels will exchange oxygen at a certain rate. And so you get a little bit of oxygen seeping into the barrel, which seeps into the the alcohol that's inside the barrel, which is basically wine, which turns into vinegar by the time it gets done. So by adding this acetobacter, you get a vinegar component, which is very acidic, very, um, very sour, but also tastes like a, a vinegar flavor. So you don't necessarily want a lot of it. But a little bit will add a whole lot of sourness and just a little bit of that kind of sour bite that you get from vinegar on that side. And a little bit of that that lowering of the pH. And so you kind of want a little bit of that that flavor inside of some of the sour beers, especially uh, um, a Flanders Red. That's yeah. really common inside that beer. Hmm. We're moving on to Pediococcus. You got it. Pediococcus, yeah. Uh, P-D-O, Pedio. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's... Yeah. Uh, Gram-positive lactic and acid bacteria used in the production of Belgian-style beers where additional acidity is desirable. This organism... If you... I'm sorry. If you like pediococcus, does that mean you're a pediophile? No. Apparently. (laughs) 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 Uh, 
they are native. Uh, this organism is responsible for the vast majority of acid of lactic uh, acid production in lambic beers. They're native plant to material and fruits, and often found in spontaneously fermented beer as the primary source of lactic acid production. With P. damnosus being the only species identified in lambic, uh, it's sorry. It's seen as a major source of beer contamination in commercial breweries due to its ability to adapt to and survive in beer. About ninety percent of sugar metabolized by Pediococcus produces lactic acid just like lactobacillus but it never produces carbon dioxide hmm. uh the ability yeah to- you, you're not getting carbonation off of pedia yeah <laughs> no, well and it's why like like this is this the one from in lambics right mm. Mm. yeah so this is the like we explains why Tied you're not getting together. yeah <laughs> but but pedio is sort of like a small component of it and you'll see why here in just a second uh, so the ability to grow in beer is strain-dependent rather than species-dependent. However, genetic differences indicate that P. damnosus and P. clausini Clausen- Clausen- are... Clausini. Clausini, okay, better. And, uh, and there's Clausini, Dabrickii, those are all names of the people that discovered this species. Right, right. And so the same people discovered species of the same type inside of different um families i guess would be the right name no, um, that makes sense so yeah. there's like a a, a pediococcus clausini there's a Britannomyces clausini right, and that's right. because they the same person discovered each one inside of each individual family gotcha that makes sense uh well it makes sense in the context of the science stuff um mm-hmm. <laughs> um so th- basically they're better adapted to surviving in beer um, they are generally considered to grow anaerobically, uh, but can also grow in the presence of oxygen. Some species or strains, including individual strains of uh, P. damnosus, uh, can have their growth and acid production inhibited by oxygen, while some will have better growth and produce more acid in the presence of oxygen. Strains found in beer are hop-tolerant. Due to their continued metabolism of longer chain polysaccharides, acid production will increase with storage time. Pediococcus can form a pellicle. Yeah, pellicle is basically just a. Yeah, it's a hard thing to kind of describe. It's kind of a coating on the top of a beer. Um, you have to see it to really just Google it. I guess I could say all all kinds of things. Just Google it and you'll see what it means. Um, a pellicle is kind of like this coating or this um, sheet on top of a beer that's basically a protective layer. Huh. And so it uh, these bacteria and these different organisms create this protective layer to shield themselves from oxygen. <laughs> and... It, it's totally evolutionary. It's one of these things that they just created to uh, increase their species. It's unreal the way it kind of works. And so the pellicle, whenever you see it, you'll never forget what it looks like. Just Google it and you'll understand. Yeah. Uh, so the definition wise, it, it's um, used in more than just beer. The term is uh, it's a membrane or coating on the surface of. So, like, beer in this instance, but also meat, fish, poultry. Um, huh. 
I'm scared to see the image. My thing, my internet is being super dumb, or at least my computer is. The internet's trying to protect you. Oh, <laughs> oh ew. Okay. <laughs> oh, ew. Oh, ew. Got it. Yep. There's that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> see what so, I mean now, right? Yeah. It's uh, ew. Um, <laughs> Pediococcus may also cause ropiness, also called a sick beer, <laughs> due to the production of exopolysaccharides when exposed to a fresh sugar source. Uh, that's a lot of S's there. Ropey or sick beer is more vicious or no viscous. <laughs> vicious ropiness. <laughs> ah, the strangler. So no, wow. if if you've seen what was that in uh, Kevin Smith sold out. <laughs> when he's uh, he talks about the first time he ever got actually got high and oh so ropey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was in the bathroom for like one. two hours. Ropey. <laughs> Google that. Yeah. Google <laughs> ropey pediococcus. Oh. Nope, nope, nope. Oh. Yep. Uh, nope, nope. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. So, uh, so it's more viscous and in extreme circumstances can form strands. Sickness affects mostly the mouthfeel and appearance of beer, I bet, and may have no influence on the flavor. Uh, it's considered a temporary flaw in sour beer. Some brewers, including uh, Vinny... Uh, Chilurzo uh, from Russian River um, and some Belgian Lambic producers claim that after the ropiness goes away, generally three to six months, it produces a deeper acidity and mouthfeel and is viewed as a positive process in the production of sour beer. For other brewers, ropey beer is seen as a nuisance due to the beer needing to be aged for a longer period of time, especially when it occurs shortly after bottling. Pediococcus species can also produce diacetyl which extent, with extended storage time. Brettanomyces can break down exopolysaccharides and diacetyl produced by pediococcus, and the two are often used together. Uh, I, quick question, not not on topic, but yep. is uh, Vicious our new Biogas? Biogas. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, that's an, a lot of deep cuts this episode. Like, really... <laughs> Really calling back. Making fun of each other? or Oh, uh, probably. <laughs> Maybe a bit. So, Enterobacter. You may have heard of the name, name Enterobacter before. We usually see it coming from the disease world. Most commonly, E. coli, uh, Escheria coli, uh, Salmonella, and the bacteria that causes meningitis, bacterial blood infections, pneumonia, and urinary tracts of tract infections, they're all based around Enterobacter. Oh, good. Is, but don't be afraid. Is is Enterobacter the, the middle name of uh, Wiley Coyote? <laughs> Wiley Enterobacter Coyote. Wild Enterobacter Coyote. <laughs> don't be afraid of this organism because it is uh, none of these bad bacteria that can sub, uh, survive in a sour beer. The word enterobacter comes from the root entero, which in Greek means intestines. Oh, good. Yep. That's where this bacteria grows, and most of all, it's where you get the smell of this bacteria. Yeah, it is. Most species of enterobacter ferment glucose into acetic and lactic acids and then produce ethyl acetate and other byproducts like dimethyl sulfide. These will produce vegetal, smoky, moldy, and even baby diaper flavors and aromas in beers. Have you guys had a, have you, 
Chris, Brittany, have you had a baby diaper flavor yet? Uh, know what we've, that had, smell is? we've had some smelling ones that uh, you can taste. <laughs> <laughs> Much like one to two month old young children, they are most present in one to two month old young lambics. <laughs> the good news, everyone, is that they stop working altogether below 4.3 pH, so they are short lived in sour beer fermentations, but can be responsible for some of the sour flavor even if the aroma is undesirable. Also most, like small children. Exactly. Flavor un, undesirable in small children. Uh, most traditional producers of Lambic seek to reduce the effects of the Enterobacter bacteria. But we had to put it in here because you're actually getting some of your sourness in a sour beer from Enterobacter. So there you go. Now the most um, uncommon, I guess, form of yeast that is forming sour flavors in a sour beer is oxidative yeast like uh, a Candida, Cryptococcus, Hansela, Cloaca, Cloaca. Cloaca. I, I knew we were going to go that direction. <laughs> uh, and Pichia. Uh, they can produce large amounts of acetic acid when exposed to oxygen. These yeasts are called oxidative yeasts, and they float on the surface of the beer. So we talked about Pediococcus and how it formed that kind of slick uh. on top of the beer. Man, now all I can picture is cloacas on top of beer. You got it. It's all you right now. Um, <laughs> so those those all kind of are – they absorb oxygen and create these sour effects. Now, Brett would actually be considered a form of oxidative yeast, but since it's such a, a big component in beer production um, and it's so common in sour beers, it actually gets a category of its own. Um so these yeasts grow naturally on fruit skins and are generally considered spoilage organisms. And I totally get that. They aren't normally needed in beers. But sour beers are a little bit different. They can grow on grape skins and eventually make their way into lambics and use of uh, wine barrels inside of lambic production. So if you take grapes and you crush them and you put them into a wine barrel and that wine barrel ferments into wine – and then you take that wine barrel and you move it over into beer production, you're going to bring the bacteria with it because wine barrels have so many pores in them. And so beer production takes in all these same bacterias and then they get to sit there for a little while and you turn them into sour beers. So with these grape skins that turn into sour beers later on, you have um, a kind of this contribution to the flavor of sour beers. Now, it's minimal at, at most. Even though you have a lot of other compounds in there, the oxidative yeasts are very small in the amount of uh, kind of flavor contribution that they give. But sour beers that are exposed to oxygen with these yeasts in them can produce a very vinegary note, which is kind of undesirable in most sour beers. Yeah, I would go ahead and say more than a little undesirable. Like nobody's drinking a sour beer wanting vinegar. Yeah. Yeah, usually whenever you look at a, a sour beer, it's the vinegar component is you just want a little boost to the, um, the sourness, but not so much on the side of the actual flavor. You don't want to taste vinegar. You want to taste the sour beer with just a little touch of it. Vinegar is great as a, a culinary component. You want to add vinegar to a lot of your dishes. Um, I think one of the cool things about cooking is that you add a lot of these different flavors, and there's like five different components 
you don't taste a whole lot more than sour, um, sweet, basically an umami flavor, bitterness, and um, there's like one more out there. I was gonna say, uh, Casey, you need to watch the uh, that Netflix show, uh, Salt, Acid, Heat. Exactly, that book right there, and and so uh, saltiness. That, that that's the fourth one, yeah. Uh, and so you've got those five components that go into your your flavor compounds. That's all you're getting flavor wise, and so everything else that a beer is getting added, uh, that everything else that's added to a beer is basically aroma. And so you have these five compounds that are flavor, and then you have aroma beside of it. And so everything that we've talked about today adds acid, and adds acid to a certain point. You know, um, whenever I make candy i use sugar and i use water and i use um, um, corn syrup but i add in some citric acid or i add in some uh, malic acid or something else to add some sourness to it because that really brightens up the flavor beers do the same thing you want a little acid in there to brighten up the flavor um that's exactly I think a, what sam calgioni said yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's kind of important to use all these same components that you get in flavor to to change the way beer tastes. And that's why sour beer is so important because whenever you blend a sour beer with a traditionally made beer, um, you, you blend a lambic back with something like a, a chocolatey dark beer. Ooh. You get something that's totally different than what you've ever expected. You get an atrocity is what you get. <laughs> sour dark beers are very difficult to make, and, and I will give you that. Um, but whenever you add caramel and sour together and a little bit of salt in there you get sort of this this kind of jump off the palate type of flavor uh and it really wakes everything up sour is like the salt of beer so i like sours generally i love coffee beers coffee sours i cannot do yet like that is those that flavor combination is just not something i can handle i know there is a word for that the word for coffee sour is acrid yeah, mm, yeah. <laughs> oh man, because uh, Urban Artifact did a uh, a coffee beer, and everything they do is sour. Like that's their trademark. And I know people who loved it. I had I will I love everything Urban does. And when I'm like, oh, they're doing a coffee beer, and then I got a four pack of it, and I had to just drain pour the other three. I was just like, oh god. I I, I just looked up what the the textbook definition of acker was, and it's angry. Beer. Angry and bitter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I would... The beer that's was me. called War Mug, so no, that, that described it. Today, um, I'm, I'm comboing a couple beers together, and, and one of the beers that I'm comboing is a very sweet beer, and the other beer is a sour beer, and the, together they kind of balance each other out, and that's that's really what wild beers and, and wild ales, Britannomyces, all those things add together. All right, well, uh, since you're leading us into that, let's go ahead and start talking about what we're drinking. Drink with me, friend. So, the two of us uh, are splitting a bomber because uh, I'm, I think my days of drinking a full bomber by myself <laughs> on the show are over because this is like this is even high ABV and I'm buzzing over here. I and I'm I'm going down a rabbit hole because like I was trying to find this stuff about. Oh, the, you're not going to find anything about this. Yeah, I, I was trying to do that, and then now I'm on Off Colors website. Just I'm like, oh, oh, look at this. Ooh. Yeah, the, you got to be careful. <laughs> don't don't stray on that website. So we are drinking uh, tiny pillows from Off Color. 
This is an American wild ale fermented with Tarulaspora del Delbrucii. Del Bru- del Brucii. Del Bru- del Bru- yeah, del Bru- and so uh, discovered by the same guy. Oh, I just Googled untapped tiny pillows, and you're the first person that pops up, Chris. <laughs> like, I just oh, checked in. Like, personalized search, probably, yep. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's coming in with 5.2% ABV, only 10 IBUs. Beer Advocate score is only 3.77 out of 5, and it only had, like, four ratings. So, not a lot of people have gotten to rate this one yet. I think it's a rather new one from Off Color. It's probably hard to find. I hadn't seen it before. They don't even, I don't think they have it listed on their website. They don't. Uh, so yeah, there's no real description I can give you, but, uh, off color is really great about telling you everything that's in it on their labels. So I can tell you the gravity is 11.4. the malts they used are pills, flaked wheat and Vienna hops were Columbia. And then you already, they tell you the secret ingredient, which was that yeast. They tell you the secret ingredient. Is it a secret then? No. Oh yeah, they oh. list that on a lot of their stuff. Yeah. Also, uh, this isn't this isn't related at all. Um, on Off Color's site, gives rabbit hole. They have a, a beer called Blueberries Feel Pain, <laughs> and I really want to try it. Look, a lot of their labels and beer names are like acid trips. It's like it's it's some of my favorite <laughs> arty trips. Yeah, but uh, Tiny Pillows, I really liked it. It's really crisp, clean, huh. uh, little citrusy. I... It's funny that really... you say clean. It tastes yeah, clean. I don't know. Well, I would assume like that would if, for me that seems like it would say not funky. Like it's, a, yeah. This is not big on the funk side. Wait, it's, let me just say this: Do we do we like beer advocate? Yes, you're yeah. thinking of okay. great beers. The one we don't like. Great <laughs> yeah, beers okay. we don't like. Cool. Uh, cl- uh, clean in, in in an effervescent. So, uh, given what this well, is and the yeast involved, and this they don't have this on their website, and I've never seen it before. This probably needed to sit. Mm. I could go grab another bottle and tuck it away for eight months, and then we could pop it and see what uh, if it has brought the funk. But right now, so, it has not brought the funk. Yeah. The first review on Beer Advocate actually says wild, but a nicely tamed wild. Mm. And I think that's kind of funny because they they know that it's a wild beer, but like you said, it's kind of a, a clean wild beer. Yeah. I... I didn't really care for it. But you drank mm. it all. I didn't hate... I, like, it's not that it's bad, but nothing... I wouldn't reach for it again, you know? I don't know. I would maybe want to get another bottle of this and tuck it away and see if it funks up. It's definitely not my favorite off-color beer I've had, though. Oh, no, I've that's got... For, that's for freaking sure. I, well, I don't have some of my favorite off-color beer in the fridge yet. Uh, that's the coffee version of what I've got in the fridge. But I've got some of... Uh, they're stout hanging out. In the mm-hmm. But seriously, though, their art is some of the like. I'm just I'm scrolling through the website now, like because I'm a horrible person. I just keep going. Uh, yep. I, oh my, their oh. art is like the best thing. Um. Also, did you read the description of the barrel? Uh, bear. No. Before, because oh, first of all, that label is amazing. The bear bear label is one of their best. It's uh, one of the few commercial available uh, yeah. examples of a sati, and it's a. Uh, a bear and they have like pixelated and blurred out its genitals well and then so in the barrel bear he's wearing a barrel obviously because he's naked um his it's the it says our house sati bear bear rested in mgp rye whiskey barrels for 11 months <laughs> i, I, I mean like, if you gotta go 
Go like, to the big. I, I thought it was like interesting that they specifically said MGP. Uh, but also black pepper, uh, woody coconut, and sweet vanilla notes. I can't even oh. handle it right now. I want to get this beer. Woody coconut sounds like something I want to put in my wax warmer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, that's Sorry. enough about off color. I am uh, chomping at the bit to hear about uh, what Justin was doing with uh, oh, yes, yes, yes. the Miracle Fruit. Okay. Well, I went out to go buy beer today, and... I wasn't sure which sour to buy. Uh, eventually, I saw that on the shelf was uh, Lolita from uh, Goose Island, and uh, it's from 2015. So it's been there so, a while. Been there a while. I uh, wasn't sure if it's just been sitting out on the shelf that whole time, or what, what the hell could have been happening with this bottle this whole time. But I decided, you know, let's let's try it. Maybe if it's been out in the light this whole time, maybe it's oxidized, and I can get some weird bad flavors out of it. And See if it's just been treated right. Uh, so, and then halfway through the episode, I decided, you know what? Let's let's crack into this miracle fruit and see what happens to these sours. So I've got, got two different, very distinct impressions. Uh, now, normally, and also the miracle fruit's wearing off now, so I can start to taste everything again. I was halfway past uh, Covington whenever the miracle fruit, miracle fruit wore, wore off. off. <laughs> oh God, the peppers. I was uh, half past Covcath when the uh, when the miracle fruit wore off. But yeah, uh, no. Normally, it's it's very tart. Uh, it's it's got some acidity to it. Uh, I'm getting like little little bit of like an orange or a citrusy kind of flavor in in it. But it's it's pairing with that that acidic stuff of it. Uh, it's also uh, it's well, I I say orange. It's it may just be like some kind of like fruit, but uh, they say it was a wild ale fermented in wine barrels with raspberries, bright fruit aroma, and notes of oak with dry tart finish. That sounds just fine. Yep. And it it's it's actually it's actually been pretty good. Uh, it's you know multiple years old, so there was no head when I poured this thing. Mm. It's like whoop, yep. Yeah, that like you had like a little bit, and then it just immediately went away. It was allowed to funk up really nice. Uh, but yeah, it it's actually it's sour, but in like a in a, in a light kind of way, if that makes sense. Like it's not not like super heavy, and you're like, oh god, you don't get that horrible back of your throat puckering feeling, like that sharp. Not, not so much. Uh, it's it's kind of like you know, it's it's like. You know, raspberries, I guess, is the, the flavor I'm getting out of it. Uh, then, then about ha- after I had a glass of it, I took some Miracle Fruit. <laughs> like it, you do. It right. tasted like a cherry pixie stick. What? Yes. Like, it was just all sugar. Okay. Right. Super sweet. Like, it was just pure sweet, but it was like, like, just pure fruit like sweetness I was like well like not even pure fruit but like literally cherry pixie stick I was like oh god so okay what is the miracle fruit supposed to do again takes sour and turns it to like basically just yep turns okay. it sweet or gotcha. it takes like a bitter and will make it it blocks okay. it blocks and opens up different taste receptors on your tongue yeah so everything's yep. gonna taste crazy okay yeah so what sweetness is in there is all I'm getting. So all the sour was gone. And you're just like, holy crap. It, it literally, the first drink I had was like, I just opened up a whole pixie stick and dumped it on my tongue. Wow. So, 
So we're taking these to Drinktacular, and <laughs> we're gonna do a we're gonna do a sample at some point. I don't even care if we record it. <laughs> All right, um, Casey, you've been on an adventure. Oh, by the way, it's seven point eight percent ABV, and it's a beer average score of four point one one. I was too distracted by the Miracle Fruit. Also, yeah. Guinness tastes just like chocolate. Okay, you gotta have Miracle Fruit to drink Guinness. <laughs> Given. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Casey, uh, what, uh, what's been your crazy trip? All right. So let's talk a little bit. <laughs> Number one. Gather lawfully. around, children. Lawfully. And 2015, lawfully. Hmm. So Yours are the been, same age. Been sitting in my closet for a while. Hmm. But I did not realize this until I started doing some research. Lawfully, since like 2009... Has been pasteurized. What? Oh, yeah. So Lawfully hasn't been able to change a whole lot in the bottle since 2009. Wow, and that was considered one of the like a beer that you needed to buy and let it sit and let it mature. Exactly. Ooh, so you've been wasting it all this time. It's been sitting over here, and and it's been sitting in like not cold storage, but like 60, 50 to sixty degrees storage, like unheated closet storage but i also pulled out a new glarus i pulled out the serendipity ale brewed with apples cranberries and cherries mm. and i combined them together oh <gasps> casey why i know right <laughs> he's a madman um, he's gone drunk so, with alcohol loff- Let, let's go back to the lawfully and let's just talk about lawfully by itself when you look at new belgium New Belgium sour program consists of two sour beers, and they combine them to make most of everything that they make. Oscar and Felix. Bob, where do Oscar and Felix come from? Those are the odd couple. That's right. If I have a cultural reference, I always go to Bob for that. <laughs> so yeah. Oscar and Felix are the odd couple. Oscar is the dark beer. Felix is the light beer. Oscar was the slovenly sports writer. Felix was the uptight neat freak. So Oscar is what Lawfully is. So Lawfully has always been just the Oscar side of things. Now, everything else that New Belgium makes is a combo pretty much of Oscar or Felix combined. Now, if you bring them together, Oscar has a grain bill of pale malts, Munich malts, Carapils, Caramel 80, and Chocolate malt. So it's kind of a dark malt, and it's actually brewed very similarly to a um, like an old Bruin, something like that. <clears throat> Felix, on the other hand, is coming together with a uh, pale wheat, caramel 80, carapils, and oats. And it's what's in their La, or sorry, La Trois uh, brew. So whenever you look at these two beers... They take them and they put them in all their fooders and the organisms that are in those fooders act on them. Those organisms that are in the fooders can be pretty much anything. Um, Literally, whenever they were putting them together, they took not only commercial pitches of various different bacteria, but they also took various different um, bottles of like Cantillon and various different uh, sour beers that are traditionally great and mix them in there. So they were basically saying, okay, just mix together and make a really great sour beer. So he did this. 
So you got Lawfully on the dark side. And then today I actually added in New Glarus, which is not a sour beer. But it's a Wisconsin ale brewed with apples, cranberries, and cherries, which means it's a fruited ale that's very sweet. So I add very sweet to very sour. They balance each other out, and they make an amazing beer that (laughs) was really surprised at what kind of flavor I got out of it. So let's say this. Sweet balances sour. Mm -hmm. And if you can combine a really sour beer with a really sweet beer, you're going to find something that you really like. My favorite way to do this, and let me let me put this out there so people can kind of experiment with it. Petrus um, has a uh, kind of like a pale ale that's a sour pale ale that's just basically pure sour. Combine that with something that's really sweet and really fruity. Um, New Glarus has the serendipity, but if you can find something sweet and fruity somewhere else, then go for it. Combine those two together, and you're going to find something that really balances out. And I think that you'll really find something fun and something different. And it's going to be a totally different change from where you've tasted before. Cool? Cool. cool. I want to try awesome. that more. I've yeah. not done it enough. Yeah. Petrus uh, Pale Ale, uh, I, I don't know what it is. It's it's not even a, uh, a Flanders Red. It's just kind of just a straight sour base. Um, that one combined with pretty much anything else out there that isn't hoppy, you're going to have some good times with it. All right. All right. right. Subscribe and get some great resources at haveadrinkshow.com. Follow us at haveadrinkshow on social media and twitch.tv. Don't forget, you can ask a question, uh, tell us your favorite drink, or just leave some general feedback. You can use the feedback, uh, you can use the email address, feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. You can also use the feedback page on the website where you can find our new store. Or go to have a drink store. Yeah, uh, all joking (laughs) and fun aside, guys, also all beer mixing aside, I'd like to remind everyone to please drink responsibly. Mm -hmm. All right, you can check. (laughs) Brittany's like, yeah, don't be like Casey. It's like, don't don't go mad and start. You're not going anywhere now, are you? I mean, you're responsibly drinking at home. And walking to bed, that's about it. There you go. Uh, Most accidents happen within... within, Although at this point, point I'm like planning it? trips for tomorrow, I'm like, can we go, can we make it to Delaware and back? This <laughs> is this is a three day weekend. I mean, come on, Martin Luther King Day is on Monday. We may be able to make it back on this. All right, let's round this out. Yep. Uh, check us out next Saturday for our next episode, and remember, of course, to check out Patreon.com/slash Have a Drink Show. Once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. I'm Casey Price. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>